Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we are breaking down the Butterfield Bermuda Championship, which is a tournament that, albeit has a weird sponsor, is the second to last event on the PGA Tour Fall Swing. It wraps up next week with the RSM Classic before the PGA Tour has a little bit of a break. And we will be back for the RSM Classic next week, but we got to take care of business here in Bermuda this week. And this is not exactly a strong field event, you know, with um, kind of everything else going on in the world of sports right now. Golf's kind of taking a little bit of a back seat, but the course itself this week is going to be gorgeous. It's got some really, um, you know, scenic golf holes and it's going to be some really good TV viewing. So this is a tournament that I'm looking forward to. And it is one that I think with it being a weaker field, we can do a little bit of a deeper dive and analysis and figure out the right plays this week for DFS and on our betting cards. If you are new to the channel, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Um, this is an audio only episode. You can still subscribe to the audio feed, but I would greatly appreciate it if you went on YouTube and subscribe to the channel as well. We are closing in on 200 subscribers. So any little bit would help and it would be greatly appreciated. But when you subscribe, you'll be notified when all new episodes drop, like all of our weekly golf, college football, NFL, and now college basketball content. So if any of that fancies you, hit that subscribe button and you'll get those notifications sent straight to you. All right, that does it for the intro. Let's go ahead and start with the analysis by breaking down the course itself. So the Butterfield Bermuda Championship is going to be played at Port Royal Golf Course on the island of Bermuda. It's the actual shortest golf course on the PGA Tour rotation. It's a little bit over 6,800 yards, and it is a par 71, and it is a Robert Trent Jones design. Now, it honestly makes sense as to why it's the shortest course, because it's on a very small island there in Bermuda, right? There's just not a whole lot of real estate to go around. And so what you end up with is a golf course that is not overly wide, like there's just not a whole lot of um, you know, land for the fairways, like what we saw last week at LD or El Cardinal. Um, but you're, it's also not overly penal. Like there's not like thick brushes of trees. There's not like, um, you know, just a lot of hazards, like right off the fairway. This is not a course like Harbor town either, where trees are just overhanging everywhere and you could be in the fairway and be blocked out by trees. Now the, what I would compare it to is, um, I live in North Carolina, if, if you were not familiar and North Carolina has the Outer Banks, and there's a golf course in the Outer Banks called Nags Head Golf Links. It's an absolutely beautiful golf course to play at, right? But it's on a very small island. <laughs> like, there's not a whole lot of room to go around. So what you end up with is these holes that the way they designed them at Nags Head, it only maxes out at about 6,300 yards, but there's so many dog legs that you can't really swing driver off the tee. That way you still get a lot of variety on your approach shots. And there's also a lot of holes bordering the water, kind of like as a natural defense. Bermuda did not really take that route. There's not a whole lot of holes that are um, you know, naturally along the coast. There's also not a whole lot of dog legs either. So what you end up with is a lot of golf holes where it is driver or wood off the tee, and then you're hitting into wedge distance into these greens. Now, the other comparison that I would make with, you know, the one I've played at Nags Head, you know, the kind of other island golf course that I'm familiar with is the wind is the course's best defense. With there not being a whole lot of real estate and there being a whole lot of exposure to the elements being on an island and being, you know, not surrounded by like, you know, mountains or, or trees or anything like that. There's not a whole lot of geographical features. There's a lot of effect that wind can have if it does pick up. 
And so this is a course where if you are playing showdown DFS or anything like single round, you're going to want to check to see what time of day the wind is going to be picking up. Generally, the wind picks up in the afternoon, so you can make yourself some money by playing a lot of guys who are playing in the morning. Being able to manage the wind and manage the weather waves is going to be important for golfers this week if they want to succeed. Now, let's go ahead and talk about the greens themselves. They are a little bit above average size, and they are Bermuda grass. Go figure. And so they're really at this course, with there being not a lot of hazards off the tee and you know the greens being above average size there's not really as much of a way to separate yourself from the rest of the field tee to green so what ends up happening is guys who have really good putting weeks here tend to be the guys that end up showing up and having really good showings because the putter is the one way that you can really separate yourself um, you know with these above average size greens and with everybody pretty much hitting them like this week the fairway and regulation percentage is going to be pretty high the green regulation percentage is going to be really high so it's going to matter who can make those birdie putts off those greens and regulation and also who can manage the wind and who can maybe even get lucky a little bit with the times they play and avoiding the wind might play a little bit of a part as well. So my comp courses for this week for Port Royal. First off would be Pebble Beach, um, kind of self-explanatory there. It's a very short course. It's a coastal course that's very susceptible to wind. Um, you know, Pebble Beach is known for its tiny greens. Um, that is not the case here at Bermuda, but Pebble Beach is another short course that is coastal, exposed to winds, and the conditions are pretty similar there to what you're going to see here. The Zozo Championship, Accordia Golf Narashino Country Club, which just played at two weeks ago. It is also a short golf course. It's also not very penal off the tee. There's not a whole lot of hazards around at the Zozo Championship. So that's another one that I would look to compare a little bit. And then Sedgefield Country Club, home of the Wyndham Championship, is another one that I would compare. It's a shorter course. It is a wedge fest. It is kind of narrow off the tee a little bit, and it also has Bermuda greens. Um, so I think there's a lot of features there um, at Sedgefield with what you're going to see here at Bermuda. So that does it for the course itself. So how can we use all of those characteristics to kind of put together a, a winning DFS lineup or a successful betting card this week? Well, let's take a look at the board. The first thing that jumped out at me when looking at the board this week is the two DFS sites, FanDuel and DraftKings, had a little bit of a difference, a little bit of a discrepancy in some of their pricings. Um, so I did think that was a little bit interesting. It kind of made it seem like to me that there's no consensus on how to handicap this tournament. That generally happens a little bit on weaker fields. You also don't have one runaway favorite on the betting board. Again, something that happens in a little bit of a weaker field. So I definitely think this is a week where if you do the right research and you can find the, you know, the stats that matter, which I'm hoping that we been able to do, um, then you can come away a little bit profitable um, as opposed to those who kind of don't really know what to do this week. So Adam Scott sits at the top of the board on both DFS sites, and he is the tournament favorite. I do not think this is a spectacular course fit for Adam Scott. He's never played this event, and he isn't exactly playing great golf leading up into it. So I think with Adam Scott, what you would be banking on if you're playing him in DFS or if you're betting him is just the fact that he's the most talented golfer in the field. He's probably the best golfer in the field, and I think he's motivated to play because I think he wants to get himself into the top 50 on the PGA Tour false standings or whatever it is, um, so that way he can be in the first elevated events of next season. So you've got a guy who is probably the most talented golfer in the field, playing with motivation, playing in a course that's probably not the best fit for him. But one thing I will say about Adam Scott, he's an experienced guy. He's been around the block and he's played worldwide. So I don't think that there's any kind of course type or course conditions that would kind of... Um, you know, like phase him. So I definitely think that Adam Scott is a solid play. He's probably not my favorite play on DraftKings or FanDuel, but I definitely think he's solid and I definitely think he's a pretty secure play as well. 
Thomas Dietrich is second on the board on DraftKings, and he's a pretty solid value on FanDuel. He is actually one of my favorite golfers this week. If I'm paying up in DFS, it's probably going to be for Thomas Dietrich. He's a great course fit. He's historically a good putter, which is a way that you can separate yourself here at this course, and he has done that in his two appearances here. He's finished second and 22nd, and like Adam Scott, Thomas Dietrich is a worldwide guy. He's played golf in all kinds of countries, all kinds of conditions. The the wind that you can see at this course has not not phased him at other events. So I definitely think this is a really good spot for Thomas Dietrich. The problem is with him is he very rarely wins golf tournaments. He's kind of like Belgian Tyrrell Hatton, where he will just have one bad round or one bad hole that just kind of sinks all of his chances and sinks his mood um, and then just doesn't like show out well after that. But if he can just put all four rounds together, all 72 holes together, he is the guy that I would pick to win this golf tournament if I was ignoring all the odds, ignoring everything else. Brendan Todd is next up, and he is the definition of a good course fit. He's a guy who's not long off the tee, which this course is not going to punish you for being short off the tee. He is really good with his wedges, which you're going to see a lot of this week, and he is a very good putter of the golf ball especially on Bermuda Greens. And if you're questioning the course fit into actual results, well, he actually won this event back in 2019. However, the downside is he actually missed the cut the next time he played it. So, you know, there's definitely a little bit of an ebb and flow to this, but Brendan Todd, I think with his skill set, is a great fit for this course. Not coming in with the best recent form of anybody in the field, but it's not terrible either. So I, I like the course fit with Brendan Todd. I would prefer to play Thomas Dietrich, but Brendan Todd's one notch below. Akshay Batia is my guy, right? I, I talk about him every week. He's priced up on FanDuel, but I'm still going to play him on both FanDuel and DraftKings. He played this event last year and came in 17th. And I'm going to be honest, I think his game right now is in a much better spot than it was when he played this event last year. In his last two starts, he's came in 10th and 21st place, which is pretty solid. Last year, he was not even a full-time PGA Tour player when he played this event. He has recently just become a neutral putter. And what I mean by that is Akshay Batia has such a good tee to green game. He's so good with his driver, his irons, and his wedges that what was constantly letting him down week in, week out was his putter. He was bleeding strokes on the green with his putter in pretty much every week over the spring and summer. And now he has righted that ship and he's become a neutral putter. He's not losing strokes to the field and he's still just as good with his driver, irons, and wedges. So I think this is a really good spot for him. And also his best finishes tend to come in tropical locations. And I don't know if you'd consider Bermuda tropical, but if you look at his record in Mexico, the Caribbean, all that, it's been absolutely impeccable. So I think Akshay Batia is a great play this week here at the Bermuda Championship. Lucas Herbert is a guy that I'm going to kind of put in the Brennan Todd category. He won this event but I don't think he's a spectacular course fit. He's not exactly known for being great with his wedges. He's known for having a great short game. And the week that he won, he was outstanding with the putter. So I really think that, you know, if you pick Lucas Herbert, you're going to be relying on another really solid week from the putter if you want him to come through for you this week. Alex Noren might be a decent course fit, but Alex Noren is one unpredictable golfer. Um, I've played him numerous times in DraftKings and FanDuel over the years, and you just never know what you're going to get from him. Courses that it makes sense that he would play well at, he doesn't. Courses that, you know, where he kind of doesn't come in with recent form or a good history at, he plays well. It's really hard to predict what Alex Noren does, but he's a decent course fit. He's definitely a guy that you can get into your DFS lineups. Now, the mid to low 9K range on DraftKings is the range that I want to 
make my home this week when I build my lineups. It's got a lot of guys that I like here in this range, and I definitely think that there's a way that you can squeeze three of these guys into your lineup, even if you want to go up to like maybe an Akshay Batia at the top and then get two more of these guys, I think is a viable build. But this little 9K range is something that I like a lot. To me, this is the perfect setup for Lucas Glover. He was playing great near the end of last season, and if you look at his success, it was at the Wyndham Championship and the FedEx St. Jude Invitational. And what are some of the characters Characteristics of Sedgefield and TBC Southwind. Well, they are not wide off the tee. They were they're more on the narrow side. They are Bermuda greens, and they are a course where you're going to have a lot of wedges in your hand. And all those characteristics line up with what we're going to see here at Bermuda. And Lucas Glover, who has historically been a bad putter, righted the ship with the putter over the summer and fall. So I definitely think this is a really good spot for Lucas Glover. He's one of my favorite plays this week on DraftKings and FanDuel. He's one of my bets to win this golf tournament. Well, I'm in North Carolina, so I can't legally make bets, but he is one of my favorite bets to win this golf tournament. Ben Griffin was third at this tournament here last year, um, and he went into Sunday with the lead. Like He was in prime position to get his first PGA Tour win here last year, and he did the same thing at the Sanderson Farms Championship earlier in the fall and finished second. And you look at those two courses, and they kind of match up a little bit similar. Sanderson Farms is a lot longer, but it's still Bermuda Greens. It's not very penal off the tee, um, and it's not a very difficult golf course. This one kind of lines up with those characteristics as well. Um, and Ben Griffin is a guy that, you know, being a North Carolina guy, he's grown up on Bermuda Greens. He plays his best on Bermuda Greens. So I definitely think this is a really good spot for Ben Griffin. He is also one of my favorite plays this week. Taylor Pendrith is a guy that we can bank on course history at. He's finished third, I'm sorry, not course history. We can bank on recent form with Taylor Pendrith. He is third and 15th in his last two starts, and he's a guy who's an interesting combination of he's a long hitter, but he plays well at short courses. We've seen that over his career, and he actually has a good finish here. He came in fifth in 2021, but that actually doesn't tell the whole story. He had the lead heading into Sunday back at this event in 2021, but he ran into just a nightmare weather day. Like The weather picked up as he was um, finishing his round, and he it really affected him. It really kind of allowed him to not close that tournament. And, and I think if he had gotten a you know a, a pristine conditions day, it might have been Taylor Pender's PGA Tour win. Um, but I do think this would be a good spot for him to come back and get that first win at here in 2023. Doug Gim is another guy who has played well at shorter courses. Um, he's a better approach player from shorter distances. So I don't think he necessarily has all the measurables you can bank on like a Glover or a Griffin or a Pendrith, but I think that he is going to be one of the lower owned players in DFS because of where he's priced at and a lot of other people are going to be paying up. And I don't mind it if I'm going to be getting a low owned Doug Gim, a guy who is a really good approach player. To me, Alex Smalley on DraftKings represents the cliff. Um, I think Alex Smalley, $8,900 is probably... There's a big gap after him in terms of guys that I want to play. Like, like I really think that Alex Smalley should be priced at $8,900 and then everybody else could be priced at $7,900. Like, I'm just not seeing a whole lot of value after him. And so for that reason, I definitely think you want to go get at least three guys in your lineup at Alex Smalley or above Alex Smalley. Um, I think the 8K range in general is pretty bad after him. Um, so I'm probably going to be trying to stratify my lineups a little bit on DraftKings and make sure I get either Smalley or guys above Smalley as opposed to guys below Smalley. But Smalley himself is a guy who has played well on Bermuda Greens and at short courses in his career. He's finished 11th and 12th in two starts here at Bermuda. Um, so I definitely think this is a solid course fit, solid course history for the guy. And he is a guy that you can definitely get into your lineups. 
All right, that does it for the top of the board. So let's take a quick breather and then let's talk about some value plays. So I mentioned how bad the AK range is on DraftKings, but I'm not willing to just totally write it off altogether. Um, there are a few guys who are a little bit intriguing. You do have Stuart Sink in here, who is a guy who does have a fourth place finish at this course. The downside is that was back in 2020 when Stuart Sink won at the Fortinet and then won the next spring at the RBC Heritage. So he was playing like some of the best golf of his career. Like it was a little bit late career renaissance for Stuart Sink back then. Right now he's playing most of his starts on the uh, PGA Tour champions with with the old guys um, and his last four starts on the PGA Tour itself have been missed cuts but if you were ever to play Stuart Sink it would be at a course like this if you listen to the two courses that I just mentioned the Fortinet Championship and the RBC Heritage um, Silverado and Harbortown, those are short golf courses. This course here at Bermuda is a short golf course. Um, you know, Stuart Sink is not super long off the tee, but he generally plays well at, you know, shorter golf courses. So I think if there's a spot that you can go to him at, it would definitely be here at Bermuda. You also have the Wu brothers in the 8K, Brandon and Dylan. Um, and I generally play a lot of them in DFS just because I think they're generally pretty talented and they're generally undervalued a little bit. Dylan is actually in the midst of a pretty hot putting streak that if he keeps up, should be able to really give him a good result here in Bermuda. However, if it is to end, then that is not exactly a great sign because his tee green game is not exactly great right now. Brandon generally plays pretty well at tropical courses. He let us down a little bit at the Worldwide Technologies Championship last week, but both of them are definitely in play play for me. I, I wouldn't just cross them out. Now down in the 7k range, you've got Kevin Yu, who is third place here last year and also played well in his one start at Pebble Beach coming in 12th. But he has been truly dreadful in this fall swing. In fact, he's only had one finish 60th or better in the fall swing, and that was 59th place. And it was at the Zozo Championship, which was a no cut event with 76 players and he came in 59th. So that's not exactly a good sign for where his game is right now. However, in terms of a course fit, this is a good one. Um, so I kind of think that a lot of people are not going to play him. So he might be a guy that's going to come in under owned in DFS that you can get a little bit of leverage on. Justin Lauer is a guy I definitely have interest in though. He's statistically long-term one of the best putters in the field and that is translated to success at this course. He owns an eighth place finish and a 17th place finish here. Like I said earlier, the putter is one way you can really separate yourself. So why not get a guy who is generally pretty good with the putter and just hope that the rest of his TD Green game just doesn't totally give the tournament away. I think Justin Lauer is a really good nominee to do that and he is one of my favorite plays in the 7k range. Speaking of my other, my other favorite play in the 7K range is going to be Harry Hall. To me, he is at a course that fits his skill set perfectly. He is great with a wedge in his hand, and he is great with a putter in his hand. And that's going to be you know two clubs that you're going to have in your hand a lot this week here at Port Royal. And historically, Harry Hall's best finishes have come at shorter courses. You look at you know the Shriners with TPC Summerlin. You look at Colonial Country Club. Not exactly comp courses for here, but shorter golf courses where you're going to have you know not exactly driver off the tee every hole, and then a wedge into pretty much every green. So I do think this is a great course fit for Harry Hall, and he's one of my favorite plays in the 7K this week. A guy that people never really seem to play is Kramer Hickok, and he owns a 30th and 8th and a 15th here. He's definitely worth looking at. And Peter Malnati also has decent course history here. He has a 7th and a 21st place finish in two tries here at Bermuda. Those are two guys in the 7K range I would also have interest in. Um, and then two more are going to be Austin Smotherman and Kelly Kraft. Austin Smotherman is striking the ball really well right now. He's just not putting the ball well at all. And long term, he's generally not been a bad putter in his PGA Tour career. And so you're looking at a situation 
situation where if he just flips the putter, he could give you a really good finish because his last two starts where he hasn't exactly putted it great have been 23rd and 35th. So if he is able to flip the putter around, you can get a really good finish out of Austin Smotherman. Kelly Kraft has been Mr. Consistency in the fall swing. He's had five straight made cuts here in the fall season. And if he keeps that up, like... I see no reason for him to not keep it up. His entire game is kind of firing on all cylinders right now. I don't know if he has the upside to win this event, but he's definitely a guy that you can play in like a DraftKings lineup or, or maybe even like a cash game on DraftKings where you can just get a guy to make the cut and come in 30th or 40th place. Now, down below 7K in the 6K range, you've got a few guys who are a pretty good course fit. David Lingmurth has pretty good history here. And then you've got really good shorter hitters that are good wedge players in Satoshi Kodaira and Ryan Armour. I don't mind going with either of those three, but just know that they're not without risk. Like, this 6K range is pretty bad this week because of how weak this field is. So I think that they're definitely in play, but I definitely don't want to make my home with playing three or four guys in the 6K range. I do have to talk about Brian Gay, though. He is the king of course history at this event, and he is just absolutely dominated every time this event has been at Port Royal. He's, he has an 11th, a 3rd, a 1st, and a 12th here at this event, and that's just staggering, right? So why is he down here in the 6K range? Well, he is currently over 50, and he plays most of his golf on the PGA Tour champions uh, with the old guys like Stuart Sink, and Stuart Singh plays better on that tour than he does, by the way. Um, and his last four starts on the actual PGA Tour have been missed cuts. However, if there's ever a time for him to turn around, it's at a course that he absolutely owns. He is going to be the most popular player in the 6K range this week because of this course history. So if you're somebody who values ownership in DFS, he would probably be a guy that you would want to fade. However, if you're somebody who in general uh, values course history and, and is chasing you know, the optimal lineup, he's probably a guy that is going to you know, have a chance to be in that optimal lineup because he's pretty much done it the last four times here at this event. Now, lastly, if you are um, a golf YouTube aficionado, Brian Bros Golf is a pretty solid YouTube channel. It's one of my probably top five favorites in terms of like YouTube golf channels. Um, and both George and Wesley Bryan, who contributed to that channel, are in this event. Wesley Bryan's been a pretty like. I don't want to say average, but he's been on the PGA Tour for the last five years, and he's had varying amounts of success. He is a shorter hitter for PGA Tour standards, so this is a course that fits his game. George Bryan, Monday qualified, and he's a guy that is trying to kind of um, go through Q school right now and trying to like earn his PGA Tour card, and he's put up some really good rounds in doing that. He's playing some really good golf, and he's only $6,200 on DraftKings. If you're somebody who plays people for the vibes, you know, kind of like if you play Tiger Woods at, at, at majors, or if you play Michael Block when when, when Michael Block was a thing, um, or maybe even a few weeks ago, if you played Lexi Thompson at um, the Shriners. Like, if you're somebody who plays somebody for a feel-good story, or, you know, somebody to root for, if you're comfortable with that, then play the Brian Bros, right? Um, I think, and I think George Bryan is $6,200. If he makes the cut like he's going to pay off value for you so it's not exactly a bad proposition to play either of those two guys at this event all right now before we close it out let's go ahead and talk one and done strategy so i'll preface this the same way i have every time if you're one and done only does the fall swing then bombs away right like like pick the best golfer that you have left because next week at the rsm classic you're probably going to get a, a much stronger field adam svensson is a guy who has won and had a lot of success at that event and if you have him left he's a guy that you can just go ahead and pencil in there he's not playing this week so you don't have to worry about wasting him so i think this week you can be as aggressive as possible if you're doing a fall only one and done i would probably be considering thomas dietrich if i had him available like i said i think 
Everything else notwithstanding, he is my pick to win this golf tournament. Um, so he's the guy that I would be eyeing. I don't think Adam Scott is a bad fit either. Um, I think he will also play next week, if I had to guess. And I think that this week, with it being a weaker field, you're probably going to get a better finish out of Adam Scott. If you have Akshay Batia left, I think this course is also a great fit for him. Um, but if you need to get a little bit different, you need to go a little bit outside the box, you can look in that 9K range on DraftKings, like I was mentioning, with Lucas Glover, Ben Griffin, Taylor Pendrith, or Doug Gim. I think all four of those guys are in play. If you are playing a season-long one-and-done, well, whew, you got a long way to go. Um, but again, I would look in probably that little 9K range. I don't think there's a whole lot of guys that you could use here that you're going to want to use again. So if I was playing a full season long one and done, I think I would probably go with Ben Griffin would be my guy if I was playing a full season wraparound one and done. All right, that does it for this episode. And speaking of one and done, uh, we will be doing a one and done starting in January with the Sony Open. So uh, if you are interested in that, you know, kind of um, write it down, bookmark it, because we'll be bringing it back up again for sure. Um, Just wanted to go ahead and give you guys the heads up on that one. But anyway, that does it for this episode. So that was our Bermuda Championship 2023 preview. Hopefully we gave you guys all the information you need to fill out some winning DFS lineups this week to put the right guys on your betting card or to win your one and done, whether it is for the fall or the wraparound season. Um, If you like what you heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. It'll help me out a lot. I really do appreciate it. Um, And you'll get notifications when all of our new episodes drop, like our golf college football, NFL, and college basketball content. Um, so yeah, you, you just, you, you got all that content right to you. All right, that does it for this episode, y'all. Best of luck to you this week. We will see you next week for the RSM Classic. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see you next time. Mm-hmm.